0: a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads each week as Robert Shea and a celebrity guest
1: host talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to another episode of Fed Heads. I'm Robert Shea. And I'm Doug
0: Crisitello, and I'm very happy to be here, Robert.
1: Yeah, last time we talked, it was around the budget. You were a guest, and now we've brought you back as a co-host for the 201st episode of FedHeads, wow, wow. will you make it
0: to 301? Wow, two, well, 201's New Jersey's area code, so so I'm, I am guess I'm good Good in the garden state today. Have you just
1: jinxed us? Yeah, oh my God, what know. are we like? <laughs> is this an exit <laughs> off the parkway or something? <laughs> it is. So anyway, thanks for being with us. A lot's happened since we left. We were talking yeah. about the multi-trillion dollar BM at the president's budget being released last time we were together and all of the doom that that spelled. But the reason I mentioned so much has happened is because a lot has been released around the president's management Mm -hmm. agenda since that time. So president's management agenda itself was updated, agencies released equity plans, a lot of in-depth analysis in the analytical perspectives, volume around high performance government, evidence-based policymaking workforce, technology, cybersecurity. The administration launched the Year of Evidence for Action, a memo on estimating burden that Americans face accessing benefit programs and inventoried the list of life events around which they're going to organize a lot of their customer experience efforts. Just an immense amount of output that hopefully sets the stage for some major accomplishments going forward.
0: For years before the pandemic, I would fly every week. And my icebreaker question for the person sitting next to me, if I felt like engaging them, was how has your professional life changed in the last 10 to 15 years with the advent of all of this technology and data that we're using now? And it, I would get fascinating answers. It wasn't like an airplane scene. Like, no, no, where? it wasn't that. It it, it wasn't that. At, it wasn't that at all. I did occasionally talk jive, but um, <laughs> but what I think would be fascinating if if you could personify the federal government to ask the federal government, what do you do differently now compared to ten or fifteen years ago? And I think a lot of the advances that you're talking about. That the Biden administration has rolled out as part of the president's management agenda are answers to that question?
1: Well, you know, priority number one of the PMA is around workforce. And the pandemic has driven a lot of changes in the way people work, uh, the way people will work in the future. And uh, there's an opportunity for the administration to get it right so that they, they can improve workforce satisfaction, engagement, and therefore performance. Still got to make it uh, easier to hire people into government. Still got to focus on on improving recruitment and retention because the competition for talent is is, is as tough as it's been in a long
0: time. Absolutely. Especially for folks just entering the workforce. Um, Yeah. there, There are bidding wars. Government has to make the workplace sufficiently attractive where the Gen Z types, you know, want to come to work. You know, I think, I, I, I think, you know, maybe I'm obviously generalizing here, but there's a lot of good public spirited young folks out there. I see it all the time. You know, it's just a question of we have to ensure that the federal workplace is hip.
1: Yeah. Attractive. We've got to take advantage. There's a window of opportunity to take advantage of, but it's also true with the way average Americans engage with the government. These life events that the government announced recently is where services will now be organized around the user. The government's going to create government-wide teams of multiple agencies with leaders and a plan to improve the way Americans engage government. Let me, let me tell you which ones they are recovering from a disaster, approaching retirement, having a child or early childhood development for low income parents and children, facing a financial shock and becoming newly eligible for critical benefits and services and navigating the transition from active military duty service to civilian life. So these are major life events individuals will face and the government wants to make sure that it it's benefits services programs are organized in a way um, around that user, that Americans needs a lot of potential there. We've talked about trust from government in the past, a real opportunity to turn around the decline in trust in government. Yeah.
0: Boy, I I mean, I absolutely love this idea of coordinating government services around these key life events. what a great idea. Just, fantastic the question now is to deliver on the promise right can we pull that off can we get agencies working together uh you know throughout the federal government but also working with state and local uh, governments across the country um, but I, I think it's a great concept and, and your point on trust is just so spot on everything that we do as a government has to be built on forging trust on the part of the public. And you know, as I like to say, trust is formed when trustworthiness is combined with competence. Trustworthiness plus competence equals trust. So we can be worthy of trust, but we got to deliver on the promise in order to build that.
1: I agree with you. I think one of the advantages government faces, unfortunately, is the curse of low expectations. Right. So, you know, when you go to the DMV and are faced yeah. with a, a rapid delivery of exactly what you wanted, you are pleasantly surprised when you put a 25 cent stamp on an envelope and that is delivered to somebody's door across the country in a matter of days, that's something that we marvel at. So there's a real opportunity to make modest changes that will have big impact. Yeah. Um, and they've got ambitious set of life events that they've chosen. Yeah, one of the other areas I mentioned was equity plans. So the drive for better serving traditionally underserved communities set forth in a number of executive orders, agencies were obliged to come up with plans for improving the extent to which they were serving those communities, addressing inequity. Every agency's got an ambitious plan to overcome that. And one of the distinctions I often remind people of is that traditionally DEI&A programs are focused internally on improving diversity of internal workforces and, and policies. Here, this is outwardly focused on the mission of the agencies and the programs they're delivering are they designed in such a way to access people who might not have easy access right. to them? Back, you know, Are we making sure to get vaccines where people need them rather than expecting people to get in a car or other form of transportation to go yeah. there? Yeah, Just I, one example.
0: I, I think an important aspect of that, the entire conversation about DE&I and, and uh, building equity across the country, is to ensure again this is toward building trust right to ensure that the takeaway from folks who are looking at the government isn't i was made worse off because someone else was made better off i love this notion that they use in britain of leveling up right we're moving you know what economists call pareto optimal solutions just it's lost half the audience. Every, well, okay. no one is made worse off. A tran- transaction occurs, leveling up everyone except for our audience. That's good. Well, well, well they're all smartening up right now. <laughs> uh, no, but it, you know that's that's an important part of this um, is the is the is the sales, right? I mean, we need to even if you're not a beneficiary of a particular program, you have to understand how it benefits our society generally.
1: So, you know, part and parcel of improving life experiences, uh, making programs more equitable is ensuring we have data and evidence. So if all we've talked about was not enough, the administration launched the year of evidence for action. Agencies produce learning agendas and evaluation plans to begin to develop this greater body of evidence for use in policymaking. They launched or announced that they'll soon be evaluating the extent to which the American Rescue Plan is having its intended impact, and localities are implementing those programs as intended and that they're having the intended impact. There's a lot of ambition behind there, a lot of excitement. At least the evidence community is marshalling its resources to help drive this forward.
0: Yeah. You know, I was kidding earlier that this notion of uh, the year for evidence for action. I I like to think of it as the year of action for evidence, right? Let's take this evidence and put it into action. This notion of leveraging the data that resides within the government to uh, inform the public big advocate of the notion of pushing out information, to citizens rather than just having these big data stores that we use for internal purposes, for good purposes, doing things like improving the delivery of programs. But I think, again, I guess we're talking a lot about trust here between the between the lines. As we move to build trust, it really is critically important to be pushing info to citizens. You know,
1: your focus on the word action brings to mind, I've- got to read Jamie Dimon's CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, yes. letter to shareholders. And I was surprised, I mentioned it to you, you weren't surprised about his expressed frustration at dysfunctioning government, its inability to use results to drive policy and, and action, but was motivated to write an article that buried deep in the budget in the analytical perspectives volume chapter on evidence, was a bulleted list uh, behind the statement. The budget emphasizes not just building evidence, but using it and it cites a handful, not enough, but the beginning of a list of examples of where evidence led to a budget proposal that if enacted would invariably improve results. So I think they're teasing that to hopefully see more and more of that. Yeah. But my point to Jamie Diamond was, you know, if, if we saw industry marshal its resources behind the equity plans, the evidence agenda, I think you really could see the the whole institution of government in greater greater incentivized to drive these kinds of improvements.
0: Yeah, it's re- it's really a terrific essay. I, I'd encourage folks to seek it out. I was uh, published in Gov Exec, I believe. My, I wrote an article in Gov Exec, right. but the Jamie Diamond letter is. Uh, right. also available Yeah, on the JPMC yeah. website. One, one thing I wanted to emphasize about Mr. Diamond's involvement in government through the years and his shareholder letter. And I do read it each year. There's one time when I think everyone would, uh, would agree that government is extremely important in one situation when you need it. Well, 2008 financial crisis, large financial institutions needed the government. So he was on the front lines of the of that crisis and had extensive interaction with the government in, in developing its response and then helping to carry out some of the relief programs so you know he did get an an up close look at government but again we've evolved a lot in the in the last dozen years right
1: yeah, going I, back to that time, and I would say that the pandemic is a good example of both the best and the worst. Yeah, you know, we we had a robust pandemic response plan that really didn't get enacted, but some pretty superhuman accomplishments shouldn't be overshadowed by that. Not the least of which was the development of the and distribution of
0: multiple right. vaccines. Right. As, as a scientist mentioned to me recently, 10,000 things needed to go right in developing those vaccines and 10,000 things went right. It's amazing.
1: What else, What are you watching? Uh, what, what will you be focusing on over the next several months?
0: Well, once again, you know, I'm always looking at the budget. You know, are we going to have uh, an on-time budget this year? And th- the answer is always no, of course not. But what does that mean as we... Uh, creep toward the election. Is there any risk for a government shutdown? Are we- Bite uh, your tongue. Yeah, yeah, let's hope We may bleep that out. Yeah, just a a long continuing resolution to get through the election is probably likely get us to maybe early 2023 calendar year. And we're we're gonna be able to avoid any any nonsense around the debt ceiling, which is good news. Um, But
1: it'll be a different landscape after those midterm elections. So I'll be interested to see what that looks
0: like. I think one thing that's really, and we could talk for months about this is the changing global order, really the economic order, the military order. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're in the midst of some very significant change about everything virtually. I mean, it's, it's weighty. I mean, we're not in a steady state environment. Couldn't be further from it.
1: Well, that tees up another episode. (laughs) A good excuse to have you back. Well, this has been great. Great. Thanks for doing this with me. And I'll look forward to doing it again. Great, great. Great to be here with you, Robert.
0: Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. We'd
1: love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes.